welcome to episode 3 of the Board Game Battles podcast. We take two board games with a common trait, discuss each, and see if we can declare a winner. I'm your host, Randall, and with me today are my co-hosts, Jeff and Drew. Hello. Hello there. Today's common trait will be cooperative games that take place in the Arkham area of the Cthulhu universe. Uh, And in our head-to-head segment, we'll be discussing two games, Witch of Salem and Elder Sign, using the Gates of Arkham expansion. And then following our matchup discussion, we'll be having our Imperial Assault segment, where we will be discussing what's current in IA news. The reason I decided to go with uh, Witch of Salem versus Elder Sign with the particular expansion um, was more, more just to take two games that were maybe a little bit closer in play length. You would think that the probably obvious matchup would be Witch of Salem versus Arkham Horror, but you know that game is just a beast when it comes to playtime. Mm-hmm. So decided to go a little bit shorter. Um, maybe we'll be able to get Arkham Horror into the onto the table at some time in the future and, and compare it to something else. But I wanted to get two games that were cooperative. Had um, still had you know very similar themes and it is also times. October and it's also October yeah so this is October you know Halloween's coming up pretty soon so we get some games in this month that uh, will you know be fitting with the Halloween theme so our early Halloween discussion will be these two games and then uh, we'll try to get together and do our next episode right before Halloween where we might uh, have a couple other games that we're working on getting together, potentially. I'm looking at Fury of Dracula, maybe, versus uh, Letters from Whitechapel. So look forward to that in the future. Uh, But for today, these are our two games. And as always, we'll start with the one that was released first, which was Witch of Salem. Uh, Came out in 2008. Designer is Michael Reinach, potentially. Sounds good. Sounds good. (laughs) Um, He's done a, a few games that I'm familiar with. Dracula from 2003, uh, Around the World in 80 Days in 2004, Gone Fishing, Pillars of the Earth, the one based on the Ken Foliot novel, Cuba, uh, World Without End, the other Ken Foliot game, and Santiago de Cuba. So that's a list of quite a few of the games he's done. So, And he does he has done a lot more than that. I didn't list all the ones that he's released just in Germany, assuming Germany, but in Europe. Um, so he, he has quite a large uh, collection of games that he's released. Artist Franz Vowinkel. Um, in, uh, in North America, the publisher is Mayfair Games, but it's also uh, published by Yellow and Cosmos as well. It's a cooperative game going by the mechanisms listed here that features dice rolling and set collection. And has a BGG rating of 6.7. That's called from 1.5 thousand uh, reviews. So not you know fairly recent. It's a right mid range game, a little bit, a little bit higher than the mid, um, but a decent rating. Looking at uh, going into the discussion of the game, starting out with like the rule book. It's a decent rule book. It's uh, it's nice and um, fairly short. It only has about uh, you know four pages to it. It's uh, you know nicely laid out. Um, it's colorful. It uh, it keeps you know gives you a good example of what everything looks like. Has you know the setup right at the beginning. Gives you a nice overview and then and goes into the rules. So there's nothing really. I don't think there's really anything lacking in here. I don't think we ever came mm-hmm. to a point where we were saying if we didn't understand how something was working, we couldn't look at the rule book and figure it out. No, it was very easy to find what you needed to find when you yeah. came to it. Yeah. Yeah, and really, once once you subtract the pictures, you're really only reading three pages, not four. Right. So it's a you know it's short, yeah. sweet, and and keeps it uh, right to the point. Yeah, um, this was. I think this was a, a very simple game to to pick up. 
Exactly. Uh, Components-wise as well, you know, they're, um, I wouldn't say they're exceptional components, but they're very good components, you know, it's a, it's a decent board, you know, is it a bi-folding board, is that what they call it, when you have two folds, I think? Sure. Maybe. Let's call it, let's call it that now. It's a bi-folding board. (laughs) We coined the phrase. (laughs) We coined the phrase. Um, It has some, you know, little wooden meeples for everybody's characters, so everything is either wood or cardboard. Uh, the cards are, you know, a decent quality card. They're not exceptional, but they're not, you know, paper thin or anything either. So they're a good quality card. You know, lasts up, lasts for multiple plays. I've, you know, played this a few times now, and it's still held up pretty well. Uh, so the components are excellent. So we'll just go into the rules um, description. So how this game works is you're in the city of Arkham. You have a number of locations on the board for the very, um, for where you go, and they're all numbered from zero to six. So there's a total of seven locations. Everybody starts in the middle, or not in the middle, in the top, uh, bottom right corner at Miskatonic University. So you have up to four players, and it's two to four players, so you have to have at least two. Um, along the edge of the uh, board is the uh, Necron track, and that's sort of a, one of your... Like a time limit. It's like a time limit, pretty much. Once it gets to a certain point, if you haven't done something, you'll lose. Um, it does have, and then as like a second point, if... If you get to that, you, you've totally lost. There's also uh, at the top uh, right corner um, what's called, and I'm, I'm not sure how you really pronounce this, but I, I pronounce it Relay. Um, that's where the uh, the great old one will be sleeping, uh, waiting to wake up. And around the edge of the board is where additional great old ones will go. So in the total, there's six great old ones that come with the game. When you're setting the game up, you will randomize the great old ones and put five of them face down around the edge of that side of the board and then the last great old one whichever one it is will go in the center and they're all face down and then when you start the game you'll flip over the first great old one and it just shows you it sort of a it has a couple different uses for being up there which we'll get into but it, it sort of gives you a, the, your first hint as to who the main great old one is not you know it's not this one setting up again we have the necron track there's a little marker that goes at the beginning of that there's also uh, a pawn for the Witch of Salem. And this is a game-controlled pawn um, that will give you aid at certain points in the game depending if you're in the same space as this pawn. Um, you also, each player is given a little player board. On that player board just gives you a picture. There's nothing really unique about each player. Everyone's essentially the same other than the fact that, you know, there's four different colors. Each player board is in your color. Um, two of the pawns are male, two of the pawns are female, but other than that, there's no difference. On your board is also a little trap for sanity. You start with six sanity, and as you go down, if you ever get down to zero, you're dead or insane. The, either way, you're out of the game. Uh, also, there's a location on your board to keep track of items that you collect. You can collect up to three items, and there's one location for an artifact, and you can have up to one artifact. Items in this game are what you're using for pretty much doing most of the things that require items. Fighting any creatures that come up require items. Um, taking care of the great old one requires certain items. And and to do any special actions at each location require items. The four items that will show up, there's the Necronomicon, which is the book. Eyeglasses, which is a blue icon. Uh, there's a potion, which is used for can be used for restoring sanity. And there's a special dagger, Dagger of Naga, um, which can be used for defeating creatures as well. Creatures, uh, we haven't talked about, we have a creature deck that sits off to the side of the board. And there's also an event deck. Uh, the creature deck is fully randomized and you use the whole deck during your play. It has a number of creatures. Every creature will have two versions of its card, identical, two identical versions. 
Um, and there's also a Necron card and a Witch of Salem card that all get randomized together. There's an event deck. It has There's a total of 12 event cards. At the beginning of the game, you randomize it. You take out four and you have eight. And then when you run, whenever you run through that event deck, you take the four that you put aside, put them back, to, put it all back together, randomize it again, and again put eight out beside the board, the other four away. So it gives you a bit of variety each time you have to change that up. And each location has areas where you can put a monster or a creature. It has areas for items to go, so each location can have up to three items. And it has a, um, a gate or a potential gate area. So as during setup, you'll have eight um, tokens. Um, during setup, you have eight cardboard chits, which you'll randomize and put it one at each location. Since there's six locations, two will go back in the box and you won't know what those are. And you don't look at them. And on, one, and on the opposite side of the chit is either a gate that will eventually need to be closed or a blank wall. Now, one of the core components of this game is going around and using eyeglasses to look at each of these cardboard pieces. But one of the important parts of this game is when you're going around taking a look at these cards, you don't let someone else know what it is. It's like you have that information, but you're not really allowed to communicate it to the others. It seems more like if... I think they're doing it more as a control mechanism to make the game not too easy. Because if you could just freely um, swap this information around saying, oh, I know there's a gate here, then it'd be really easy for somebody to get the appropriate item they need to close that gate. And how you close these gates when you find one is you have to have the appropriate artifact of the color of the location you're at. Each location beside these gate um, square where you put these gates has a little symbol that's a particular color and those are uh, it corresponds to an artifact piece you can get out of the item bag. All items are randomly distributed on the board from a bag that you draw from which includes items, the four different types of items, and three different uh, artifacts. And there's an orange, a purple, and a blue artifact. And there's two of each of those types of artifacts in the bag. When you go to a location, I'll, I guess I'll break down the turn sequence next. Uh, how the turn sequence goes, the first thing you do is you move. Uh, what you do is you have a hand of cards, and in this hand of cards are um, cards for each location on the board. And what you do is when you want to go to a location, you take that card out of your hand, play it down on the board, or on the table, and that's where you move to. You just take your pawn and move to that location. So after you move, the next thing you do is you can potentially trade with another player who's at that loca location. After you trade, you then encounter any creatures or um, shadows, which I'll explain in a moment, um, at that location. And how you encounter them is first you will roll the die. There's one die included with the game. On the six faces, there's a picture of each of the four main items, the book, the dagger, the glasses, and the potion. There's a picture of an eyeball, which indicates you lose sanity. Or, and there's a picture of the Necron marker, which is advancing that along the track. So when you encounter a creature, you roll that die and apply the results. If you don't have the uh, particular item in your inventory that you roll, then you're fine. You don't lose anything. If you lose sanity, obviously you lose sanity. Move Necron, you move the Necron. Um, after you've encountered the creature, you can then try to defeat the creature. Now, defeating the creature is as simple as if you have in your possession the items that, you, that the creature has at the top of its card, and it's usually two items, and sometimes it'll be one of two different items, or sometimes it'll be two of a, of a singular item, 
As long as you have those in your possession, you defeat that creature. Uh, there's also a bonus, though. If you happen to be at a location with the Witch of Salem, and there's a creature there, you do not have to roll the die. And then you also have the added bonus, is if you have a dagger, you can defeat that creature without having to have the required items that are on that creature's card. But this is only when you're at the same location as the Witch of Salem. So he gives you a few benefits. He also have, gives you one other benefit, and that's if you uh, go to use a potion, you would normally only recover one sanity, but if you're at his location, you will cover two. So after you've encountered the creature, you then have the option of using one of your items. So out of your three, you can use one of them. Um, what the different items do, we already mentioned the glasses. They will let you look at the current um, token that's at that location to see if it's a gate or not. The Necronomicon allows you to reveal the next old one card from around the board. So as I mentioned, there's five cards around the side of the board, and then there's one in the center. And one of the mechanics for this game to lose is if you get to what they call the, uh, the demon space, which is at the uh, bottom left corner of the board, which is um, more than halfway down the Necron track. So the Necron track has um, about, I'll say 25 spaces or so. I'm not 100% sure. I'm just looking at that and guesstimating. There's about 25 total spaces to this Necron track, and it curves the um, left corner of the board. But right at that left corner is the demon space. If that Necron marker gets to that demon space before you've revealed who the main Great Old One is, you lose. If you've already revealed the Great Old One, then it can go past that space and you're fine, but then you don't have many spaces left before you totally lose the game anyways. And that's when you get to the dimensional rift. That's the last space on the Necron track. So you use the, num the Necronomicon to reveal Great Old Ones. And you have to go around the side of the board first before you can reveal the main Great Old One. So as you're playing those, you'll keep revealing Great Old Ones. Uh, the next item is the Elixir of Nuss. That's the potion. Um, if you use that, as I mentioned, you'll regain sanity. And then there's the dag Dagger of Naga. And other than defeating creatures that require the dagger or using it to defeat creatures when you're at the same space as the, um, as the Witch of Salem, it doesn't have any other special purchase, a purpose. You don't, you don't exhaust it or spend it like you do with other items. So those are the uh, four main items that you can use. There's also the three artifacts. Everybody can pick up one artifact and carry it around. And so you can use the four items or you can use an artifact. When you use an artifact, if you're at a space that you happen to know contains a gate, you place the appropriate artifact, if you have it, on top of that gate to, um, to close it. And that's one of the other um, final goals. Because before you can go confront the main great old one, you have to make sure you've closed all the gates around town. And there can be between two to four gates. So you, you're working hard to go around, find all the gates, and, and close them. So after you used an item, your last thing is to uh, pay for and receive an item from that location. As I mentioned, there's three items per location that are sort of that are laid out right above the uh, the picture of each location. Um, and then there's usually a cost for that item, and it's re represented by a symbol above it. So if there's no symbol above an item, that means you can get it for free. You just pick it up and take it. Um, if there's an eyeball above it, it means you have to pay sanity to take that item. If there's a picture of the Necron, you have to advance the Necron marker that many spaces to take it. There's also a symbol for the uh, the event deck, which you'll be flipping the event card and resolving it. 
And then the last symbol you'll notice is a creature symbol, where you flip a creature card and resolve the creature. So how a churn fully works is at the beginning of a round, um, so that's where before all the players go, you will flip over a creature card. And the number of creature cards you flip over will depend on the number of players. Two-player game, you're flipping over um, one creature every round. In a three-player, you're, you're alternating between flipping one or two creatures. And in a four-player game, you're flipping two creatures around. And what happens is when you flip a creature, if that creature is not already on the board, he will go to the first available location that doesn't have a creature. If the creature is on the board, there's text at the bottom of each creature with the result of what will happen if you flip that second copy of that creature. So you apply that penalty, whatever it is, and then discard the, second, you know, the extra creature you just draw. Everybody takes their turns in order, and at the end of the round, you flip over the, one of the event cards. When you flip over an event card, it has a couple things on it. First, it'll tell you how far to move the Witch of Salem. And it's usually just the number of spaces, and what it is, he goes from building to building. Um, in order, so he's always going from zero through to six, and then you're, you're, and when you get the when you flip it, you're moving him anywhere from usually, he can stay in space so zero. Um, I think the farthest I've seen him move is five spaces, and then there's also one where you can place him anywhere you want on the board. So those those are the number of uh, spaces you'll be moving him. Um, and then there'll be an additional effect. Um, there's two different types of cards. There's the Witch card and a Necron card. If it's a Witch card, it's usually a beneficial effect. Um, there's only one card I've seen that has no effect at all. Otherwise, you know, it could be draw some items from the bag and distribute them among yourselves. Or it could also be defeat a creature that's on the board for free. Um, if it's a Necron card, it's quite typically, you know, advance the Necron so many spaces along the track. Um, once you've done the, uh, the event card, then you start a whole new round by drawing creatures and, and going again. Um, once you get to the point where you're, everyone's fairly confident you've closed all the gates and all the great old ones have been revealed, then you'll want to go and confront the main great old one. Um, but before that, I did forget something. <laughs> I, did, I just remembered it. The secret passage? Well, there's a secret passage, but there's also um, shadows. Oh, yes. So one of the uh, event cards will be that It'll be one of the Necron event cards. It says to take a great old one, the most recently revealed great old one, other than the main great old, great old one, and take him from around the side of the board and put him at Miskatonic University. When you take a great old one from the side and put him there, he's now essentially the same as any creature. You have to defeat him. Each great, great old one has three different symbols at the top of their card for what's required to defeat them. And again, it's always items, so you require... Some Great Old Ones have a specific set of items you'll require to defeat them. Some will be three of any items, so you have like one of three different types of items. Uh, Cthulhu requires three of the same item to defeat him. But you go to Miskatonic University, and you treat him just like a regular creature. You roll the die, you confront the creature. If the Witch of Salem happens to be there at the same time, the same rules apply. You don't have to roll the die, and you can use the dagger to defeat him rather than having to have the right symbols. Um, but while a great old one is at Miskatonic University as a shadow, the, um, there's text at the bottom of each card which will go into effect while he's there. And these can really have, um, you know, real, they're real, all detrimental. They're not nothing good. Um, some worse than others, but it could be as simple as uh, while he's there, 
whenever you have to roll the um, the, mon the creature die, apply the results twice. Um, I think Cthulhu makes you roll the dice twice and apply each result as you roll it. So there's, they all have detrimental things, um, which will be in effect while that great old one is at Miskatonic University. And the other um, thing is when you reveal the last great old one who's in Relay, his text will go into effect as soon as he's revealed while he's up there. So that's, that's going to be an ongoing negative effect as soon as you reveal him. So sometimes you want to kind of wait a little bit before revealing him just to, uh, so you don't have that negative effect happening at, you know, during the whole game. But going then back to defeating the great old one that's in Relay, uh, once you've closed all the gates, somebody has to play their one movement card. It's called the Secret Passage. That's a card that lets you move anywhere in town um, even if you've already played, you know, if you've already played the a card for like the hotel, and you want to um, uh, move back to the hotel without, you know, having that card in your hand, you'd have to use the secret passage, which costs you one sanity to play. And then once you play, it, then you can move to that location. Um, what I have also mentioned is how you get your cards back. My mistake. Um, the way to get all your cards back is to go to Miskatonic University. Then you get all your cards back in your hand. Um, so that's. That's how you get the Secret Passage. So the Secret Passage lets you move to any location for a sanity. It's also the only way to get to Relay. It's you play the Secret Passage, pay your sanity, and then you go to Relay. And as long as you have the required items for that Great Old One, you begin suppressing that Great, great Old One, um, binding him. And while he's being bound, um, his effects will no longer be in a, in a, will no longer be affecting the board. Yeah, his effect, he'll no longer be affecting the board while you're up there. And then whoever is up there is sort of essentially out of the game until the very last thing that has to happen, which is stealing the rift that's at Miskatonic University. And that just requires an artifact of any color. It doesn't matter which artifact, just one artifact to seal that rift. But the longer you take to seal that rift, whoever is up binding the old one's losing sanity. So each time his turn would come around, he'll lose sanity. If he ever drops to zero, he dies. And then somebody else has to try to go and and bind the great old one in order for you to finish the game. Uh, so that's essentially it. A few different ways you can lose. If you never, if you ever drop below, um, if you ever get to the point where you lost your second last player. So if in a four-player game, you know you've lost three people, then you can't win because there always has to be one person binding the great old one and one person to seal the gate. So whenever you drop below, you know down to your last person, you've lost. If the track gets to the various locations and you haven't met those requirements you've lost um, and that's essentially it that's how you play the game as broken up as that is <laughs> uh, we both um, we, we, we just played it the uh, last couple of days um, I first played with Drew because uh, we couldn't all get together at the same time um, we played a couple times and then then yesterday I played it with Jeff and um, <laughs> it, it's it's one of those games that when you first start you know, you seem like you're doing really well. Everything seems to be going fairly smooth, but then it just ramps. It goes fast. That mm -hmm. Necron track starts moving really quick, and you're like, "Oh crap! We gotta, we gotta find what we need. We have to reveal all the great old ones by using books." You know. Did you guys manage to win it all the previous day? No, 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 we did not. No. Um, the first time around, I think it was wasn't very close. It wasn't a close one at all. No. I think we, I can't remember exactly what happened, but we no, we lost a person. Um, I went. One of us went insane, so there's only one of us left, and so we we couldn't win. The second time we played, it came down to the end. Like we were one space away from losing it on the Necron track, and we were just there. We're like, 
one of us went up to bind the bind the great old one, and then the other one was just ready to go and, um, and seal the rift. The, yeah, yeah, seal the rift. But then something moved the, which is exactly what happened to us. Yeah, yeah. And it came down to the very last round. There was three of us playing in our game, and exactly the same thing. It, you know, we were right near the end of the track, and we we flipped over a Necron card for an event card. And if our if our turn order had been a little bit different, you know, we, we would have been a, would have come up with victory. But yeah, yeah. yeah, we had to go to an event and monster draw. Which... But, but you know, I, I I said this to Randall yesterday, and I, I think this is, um, I, I think it's true. I haven't obviously talked to the designer, but um, you know, in, in, a difference between uh, Witch of Salem and and you know, a game like Elder Sign is, um. You know that that feeling of oh, I'm, we're doing well at the beginning. I think is intentional. I think yeah. the game is designed to allow you to to get out. Um, you know, start you know acquiring some items. Um, feel like you're doing good, and then slowly crush you near the end. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That. Know, give the give the yeah. players a chance. Um, you know, whereas Elder Sign is just a meat grinder from from you <laughs> right know from the word start. go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I and I don't know if that's necessarily a, um you know tied into the the target play audience for this. I think this is um you know ages yeah 12 and older. So you know I I think they probably don't want to be you know crushing small children's hopes and dreams. <laughs> but um well being in the whole Cthulhu universe too and, yeah. you know I guess 12 and older is more for content because it's you know it's all about insanity and um yeah I, creatures and and demons so i guess you know they don't want, they don't want to really aim it towards the younger audience oh yeah they did thing. they did remove things like cultists and other humans to battle in this one for the lower age groups i think it's not as violent as it's perceived with the True. other yeah. that cultists Cthulhu do show up in the, in the creature deck but they're again all they are are cards there's yeah. no uh, miniatures for any of the creatures on the board like they do with um, a lot of fantasy flight ones so you know you're just flipping cards um, you might have a picture that you know the artwork was fairly well done in this game. Like it's uh, yeah, the I mean, were nicely uh, illustrated. Yeah, I've yeah. seen I've seen better HP Lovecraft artwork, but yeah. there's absolutely nothing wrong with this. Like it, I thought it, um, you know, the artwork on the board and the cards, you know, was was well integrated. You yeah. know, it was yeah, I, I thought it was quite good. Um, one thing I did mention during the rules breakdown, um, the whole thing about. Um, closing the gates so yeah we're not allowed to you know you can look at a peek at a gate but you can't tell anybody what the gate is um if you happen to go to the end and you know seal the great old one and then or like bind the great old one and then seal the last gate if you had made any mistakes on on closing those gates you lose the game as well so you might think mm-hmm. you've won then you flip over all the gates and realize oh we we sealed a wall or we did not we missed a gate then you lose um which can make it really difficult. That's the one mechanic that I was a little... I mean, I understand it from a game design point that you have to make it a little more challenging yeah. by not being able to communicate that you found a portal or no portal. But from the cooperative gameplay sense, mm-hmm. it it was a little hard to swallow that you couldn't share information about, oh, guys, there's a portal here that needs to be closed. <laughs> well, yeah. especially when there are there are ways to communicate that non-verbally yeah. exactly yeah we've got, um, there's always a little bit of workarounds like oh someone you looked at that portal and then you take off from it and you don't pick you know you don't go back to it yeah. you, you sort of ignore it then you think okay well that guy's not really doing anything about that that tile so 
Maybe I don't have to worry about it then, so I'll just ignore it. Yeah, yeah. That was. Ex- I think that's exactly what happened in our game. Was I? I had the blue artifact. I, I was able to yeah. to look at both of them and then completely ignored them. Yeah, yeah. And you know that sends a pretty clear message to to Randall that yeah, Drew's not doing anything about those. So, so I'm not going to worry about them yeah. either. Yeah. Um, but the, you know the other thing is too is you know when when you're at locations together. You know, you're able to trade items, but not information. Not information. You know not I mean? information. Mm. And I didn't mention not artifacts. So when you're trading, yes. you can trade an item, but you can't trade an artifact. You're sort of, you're stuck with an artifact. You can pick up a new artifact and I guess get rid of your old artifact, but you can't trade artifacts. Yeah. You know? But but yeah, I agree with Jeff. I, I think that was the, the one, the one me- mechanism in this game that, I don't know, really didn't. You didn't know, fit like, with yeah, the cooperative gameplay sense, yeah, right? Yeah, it wasn't really thematic, I guess. Yeah, yeah. but it, it made sense. It, the game would have been way too easy yeah. the other way around. But yeah. I, I think they could have done something to well, to even, make it a little bit harder. But. I, I could maybe understand because it does. It, you're not playing like modern times. Like you're kind of playing in a in an old. Um, they don't have cell phones. You mean no cell phones? <laughs> exactly. So I can understand maybe not sharing information while you're not together. But if you are in a position where you can trade, you maybe you could say both look at that gate who are in the location at the time that someone uses the glasses or something Yeah, there you go. If you're lines. both at a location when you look at it, maybe you can both look at it. Or maybe trade information on one particular gate. Maybe you don't have enough time to tell everyone what all the gates you've looked at. But, hey, this one particular one, I could, I could say this. So maybe you could do something like that just to show that you're only revealing information when you're together instead of... Well, and as Drew said, there, there's ways to non-verbally communicate. It. If, yeah. if you become more familiar with the game... There's definitely you're gonna come up with a strategy with your regular group yeah. to say we're not gonna worry about this if I do it this way or I think even in our game at the one point near we're getting close to the end and I'm like I think I'm going to go to this location that no one's seen except for my son and I'll just drop a symbol mm-hmm. there because I'm pretty sure there's a portal there I haven't seen it myself but he had and he's like I think that's a good strategy he didn't tell me there was a portal yeah, there yeah, yeah. but yeah. it was very much communicated yeah that's probably the best idea to go forward with well and that's why I, I really didn't like that that mechanism is because mm-hmm. you know it, it sort of breaks the immersion of the game if if I'm just lawyering that that mechanism, just those words, you know, don't yeah. say those words. There's well, a portal, saying right? anything, you know, <laughs> you know, whether you say anything at all, you know, like I said, uh, in in mine, I didn't say a single word to Randall, but but you know, he's he's he was easily able to pick up on the fact that, you know, well, actually, and I, I think. It, one way that that Randall knew for sure was I ha- I had the artifact yeah. I wasn't dealing with it and then guess what I did with it I I immediately traded it for for a different artifact because you didn't need it so yeah, yeah I mean it, if I'm just kind of lawyering that that mechanism I I think they sh- you know I guess if they were going to take another crack at this do something else yeah. you know I allow agree. allow the users to users allow the <laughs> players to to you know to share that information and find some some other way to make it make the game a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Well, and they already have the whole mechanic too where you can when you even find a portal, your next turn because you're forced to move before you do any actions, you can't like even you close the portal that you've discovered. It still takes two extra turns even if you have the artifact with you at the time you discover it. It's This is true. Yeah. So there's already layers of things that they've incorporated to waste your time yeah because until once you've used the location card until you go and get it back from miskatonic university the only other way you have to go to a second location that's or go to a location a second time i should say is to either use the secret passage or you go back to miskatonic university and grab all your cards back in your hand which cool. means you still have to leave either the location way, you yes. have to leave the location and go back to it yeah so. yeah 
Yeah, that's true. Um, so they have that whole mechanism where you, because the way the turn order goes, you can't use an item until after you've moved. And you have to move. Yeah, um, that's true. Um, you know, it's a 2008 game. It's been a while. I don't know if it's currently still available or not. Um, but if they were to do a second edition of it, and you know, it just I think a few mechanics. I mean, the yeah. game still was very enjoyable. Yeah. It was yeah. easy to learn. It was quick to play. Unlike Arkham Horror, say, where you're you're committing a day yeah. for the same yeah. sort of theme. Mm-hmm. So, I, I enjoyed the game. There, there's mechanics I wish would have worked a little differently just for the story reasons. Not, mm-hmm. I understood them from the gameplay perspective. It's just story and immersion. Yeah. yeah. And I think they rated, rated about 60 minutes. And that's pretty accurate. Like I, even, I was even teaching it to um, yourself yeah, two and, people. and yeah. to Marcus. And we still came pretty close to that 60-minute play time. You Definitely. Know, maybe a little bit over. but yeah. So they, they're pretty true to, to, the, true to that. Um, yeah. So it's definitely um, it's an enjoyable game. It's an older game. I would like to see a reprint of it. You know, maybe a re-release. Uh, Mayfair. I don't know if they still have the the rights to it or not, but it'd be uh, it'd be interesting. But I, you know, maybe they hasn't seen it because it is so simplistic. Well, I in, would in almost classify it. Games. It it kind of reminds me of almost a gateway game into this mm-hmm. genre of game. Sure. So mm-hmm. it's almost like a Settlers of Catan type game where it's mm-hmm. easy mechanics. It will get people familiar yeah. with the genre and mm-hmm. the different non-traditional board game style and then kind of you would move up from there as you mature in the yeah actually game that, world. That's, that's a good way of describing it i yeah. would you know, almost see it as a, a gateway uh cthulhu style yeah. game you know and, and doesn't uh, quite crush your hopes and dreams immediately <laughs> it gives you that chance and yeah. then starts to ramp up and well or if, if you're just looking for a, another option for uh cooperative play you know, there there are there are definitely cooperative games out there, not too many. You know, and and for the for the target audience, and um, you know, for that, um, you know, the HP Lovecraft mythos, then, you know, yeah, this is a, a good intersection for those those two things. Definitely, yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah, and um, yeah, because I think typically nowadays the next game we we're going to be talking about is almost like the replacement sort of gateway Cthulhu kind of game. Um, especially in a, a day now where they're throwing the Cthulhu um, uh, theme onto so many different types of games. Like, yep. You know, the obligatory <laughs> Cthulhu version of everything. Everything, yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, Gloom. Is, yeah, Gloom. <laughs> yeah, Gloom Lux, now. Yeah. You know, they, they're just Kickstarters. You know, they, they label... It's almost like the zombie craze. You know, they yeah. label zombies or they label Cthulhu onto something. It's going to potentially get a lot of money. Yeah. So, oh, you want to fix this? Add a, add a tentacle. <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah so yeah but i think being one of the earlier um you know 2008 uh, maybe not the first but one of the earlier mm-hmm. cthulhu games it um it was a strong contender for when it came out and it's still an excellent game uh, you have no problem getting yeah, it I back agree. on the board so that was witch of salem so then next we'll, we'll go on to talking about elder sign um going on to our second game it's we uh played elder sign specifically the gates of arkham expansion so as we go through this, we'll obviously be discussing how Elder Sign is played because it's all part and parcel of the same game, just with some changes when we uh, go over to the uh, the Gates expansion. Gates of Arkham. So the Gates of Arkham was released in 2015 for Elder Sign, which was originally released in 2012. Uh, the main designer is Richard Lanius, who's been around quite a while, and he's uh, done quite a few uh, you know fairly big names, especially... And the the Cthulhu uh, side with Arkham Horror, 
Um, he's an uh, Elder Sign, and then he's also done all the expansions for both, or has been involved in all the expansions for both. He uh, he's also notable for uh, Defenders of the Realm. Uh, he's done some expansions for Sentinels of the Multiverse. He's done a game called Ace Detective, which I've heard of, never actually played. Um, he's involved in uh, Draco Magi or Draco Magi. Um, which was a Robert Burke game, which I also uh, also own. Uh, Alien Uprising, and you know, quite a number of games like that. He co-designed this particular one with Samuel Bailey for the uh, Gates of Arkham. Samuel has been mostly a co-designer in a lot of expansions, from what I see. Uh, he was um, looked like lead designer on some of the Talisman expansions, but he uh, was also a co-designer on uh, like Forbidden Stars. He's involved in the Return to Hoth expansion for Imperial Assault. Uh, he also did uh, was involved with X in XCOM Evolution. So you know they both uh, have been involved in some pretty big games. Artists for um, for all of the uh, Elder Sign uh, expansions and game is Dallas um, Mielhoff. Fantasy Flight Games is the main publisher, which a number of other publishers for other markets. Their mechanisms are uh, cooperative play, dice rolling modular board, player elimination, and role-playing. Uh, BGG rating uh, for the particular expansion is 8.0, and that's out of 1.1 thousand ratings. If you look at the main game, Elder Sign, it has a rating of 7.0 out of 14,000 ratings. So that uh, it's been around quite a while, and a lot of people have chimed in on it because it's, you know, it's, it's just one of those sort of go-to... It's sort of the replacement go-to... Uh, entry-level game for, for Cthulhu and for the, uh, in specific, the, uh, the Fantasy Flight um, Cthulhu series of games. Going back, okay, so looking at the rulebook, um, the rulebooks are fairly nice. They're pretty standard for, um, for Fantasy Flight. They're usually fairly well laid out. They have nice pictures for all the different components that you um, will find in the game. Um, it gives you setup. It'll tell you how the you know, player turns go. It describes the dice, all the different dice you'll be using in this game, and um, in what order you do everything. Sometimes what I find with a lot of the fantasy flight games, you really have to look for like a, an FAQ quite often, because quite often uh, you will have situations arise where you're not quite sure how something works, and you look at the rules, and it's not always really fully explained in there. So, Or difficult to find. Or difficult <laughs> to find, that's right. So... While the, the rules are, they look nice and they do sort of lay everything out, there's always something a little bit lacking with them. Um, so you have to look for an FAQ. So right there, it, it's not uncommon for, for these games where you're, you're doing a little bit of extra digging. The expansions, uh, they seem to come with um, like a little, almost like a rules leaflet. So it's like an add-on to the main rule book. They're from the one for the Gates of Arkham. It's a, you know, it's like a bifold. So it has, um, if you were to look at it, it has the total... Like the equivalent of six, eight and a half by eleven sides of uh, rules and you know, addendums and additions to how you play the the main Elder Sign game. But again, you know, same thing. It has you know nice pictures detailing everything. You know, nice description of what to change from the main game when you're using this expansion and any additional rules that are added to this one. Not so much. Uh, this one was fairly good. Like once you know how to play Elder Sign. This leaflet is pretty good at just you know explaining the differences and what you have to um, to do. So there wasn't really a lot of having to go look up stuff on the internet. I think the only one that's off the top of my head that came up, there was symbols that showed up on some of the cards that actually referred to a different expansion that we weren't playing with. Mm -hmm. 
Um, this is the second expansion for Elder Sign. Uh, the first expansion was called Unseen Forces, I believe. And that one has um, an, um, a new uh, mechanism for... Uh, blessings bless- and yeah. curses, I think. That's right, blessings and curses. So there are symbols on these cards that kind of refer to that expansion. So if you don't have that expansion or you're not using that expansion, that could be a little confusing. And so we did have to go to the internet just at first to figure out, you know, what this symbol meant. That's something. Um, that's the only thing that was kind of I found a little bit lacking with this uh, this expansion for its rules. Uh, Component-wise, um, this this game it, there are cardboard. You know, there's quite a bit of cardboard chits in this game. There's like life counters. There's uh, sanity counters, doom tokens. All the monsters are uh, cardboard chits as well, um, sort of uh, rectangular chits. In this particular expansion, they added gate markers which have little plastic stands but beyond that um most of the uh most of the game is all cards cards and dice so you have a number of um fairly large almost like tarot sized cards which depict locations and you have um a number of smaller cards which are usually like item decks or spell decks or whatever that you'd be drawing from so it's a lot of cards and then you also have dice um, this one didn't actually come with the dice for this expansion. There's no extra dice, so the dice you're using are from the main game. Where's um, I think it's six green. Yeah, six green. six green, one red, one yellow. Yeah, six green dice, a red die, and a yellow die. That's right. So you're mainly using the green dice, and there are effects and uh, items that you can use to you gain the yellow and the red die. Uh, on each of these dice are um, a number of sides. Uh, on the green die, there are three sides depicting three different symbols. Uh, one symbol is a doom symbol. There's a skull, and there's also a scroll. And then the other three sides have magnifying glasses with different numbers on them, like a one, a two, and a three. Not not doom symbol, terror. Oh, I'm sorry. Terror. You're right. Terror symbol. And then the yellow die and the red die are a little different. The red die uh, does not have a terror symbol, but instead it has a... It looks like a, almost like an ally or investigator kind of symbol. It looks like a man, and uh, it's used as a wild card. And its numbers go from 2 to 4, I believe. So 2, 3, and 4, if I'm not mistaken. The yellow one's a little different. It's more like the green, except it does not have a uh, doom symbol or a terror symbol as well. I believe it has an extra investigation symbol. Yeah, I believe that's true. They had from yeah. 1 to 4 on the yellow day. Right. So... Um, if you're really, you know, depending on what you need, you may not be looking at uh, using a, a yellow die for, for some tasks. But I guess that's where we'll sort of break down into the rules. How this game works. Um, the original game all took place in a single building. That was... Um, Miskatonic uh, University. Yeah, the Miskatonic University. And um, everybody has their character chit and a character card. Um, there's a number of different characters you can um, get in this game. Each um, character has, you know, has a picture and a name, corresponding little chit for the character, and um, you usually have a special ability. You'll have a sanity score and a stamina score. As soon as either one of those is reduced to zero, you're out. Uh, it'll tell you what your starting items are, and it'll be like symbols for the different types of decks that you can pull from. There's a standard, there's a common item deck, a unique item deck, a spell deck, and an ally deck. Um, and there's also a symbol sometimes will show up are clues they look like footprints and those can be used during the game for re-rolls and in this new expansion they also give you um, a symbol for skills skills, skills. Yep. that's right so there's a new deck called the skill deck 
which can uh, affect different things that your character can do. So you'll start with your character, you start with any starting items. Um, everybody starts at the entrance. Um, now in the original game is the entrance to Miskatonic University. For this expansion, it's the entrance to the streets of Arkham. Because in this one, you're actually going around in the middle of the streets, going to different locations to uh, do the same thing as you're doing in the main game. And how that works is you pull out cards. Um, the locations are all these big tarot-sized cards. Every time you set up the uh, the board, you're going to flip over six cards. Um, in the main game, you're flipping over six different rooms you're going to go to. Each uh, card has a number of challenges on it. And those challenges um, are ones that you're trying to complete using the dice. Uh, typically, the six green dice. You roll a die when you're at a location, try to get a matching symbol to, to complete one of the challenges, put that die on that symbol, take the rest of your die, roll again, and, and continue that until you've completed all the different um, challenges at that location. Now, the way this works is if you don't get anything you need to complete a challenge, you can re-roll. Um, if you have a, a clue, you can spend that clue to re-roll any or all of your dice. Otherwise, if you don't and you want to do a re-roll, you have to lose a die. So you take one die away, take the rest of your dice and roll them again. And you keep doing this until you either failed, totally failed the ch to um, complete that location or you've passed that location. Um, at the bottom of each card are rewards or um, penalties. penalties. Exactly. Uh, the reward, if you happen to finish that location, you take that reward. It could be getting more cards. It could be um, getting... Um, a special elder sign and the elder signs are what you're going to be using to defeat the great old one I haven't mentioned the great old one yet each game you're going to be working towards um, taking care of the great old one there's a number of great old ones that come with the original game and then this new expansion give you a four additional ones and they typically require between 10 to 15 of these elder sign tokens to defeat so every time you get an elder sign token you throw it on the great old one and then you're one step closer to defeating him. Each great old one also has what's called a doom track. And so there's between anywhere from eight to you know 12 or so um, locations, um, spots on this doom track. And the doom track can have different symbols. Sometimes it'll just have a symbol for the doom track. So you put a marker over top of it and that's nothing happens. There's a symbol for generating monsters. So if you cover up one of those, you have to pull it, go into the monster cup pull out a monster and place it somewhere on the board or on one of the locations. Um, there's also on this new version um, a symbol for opening gates, which we'll discuss in a moment. Um, and that's essentially it. So your goal is either to defeat the Great Old One by getting enough Elder Signs on him to meet his requirements, or um, the Great Old One's Doom Track will fill up, and at that point at that point, you're trying to defeat the Great Old One. The Great Old One has a number of symbols that you're trying to roll on the dice, and um, everybody is on his card at the same time, taking their turns, trying to defeat him. And then every time the clock, which I haven't described yet, hits midnight, he attacks, and then you have to suffer um, whatever penalty that, ha that entails. Uh, so the other thing that I just mentioned was the clock. The clock is a timekeeper. After everyone's turn, it has... Um, it looks like a standard clock. It starts at midnight. After everyone take, or whenever a person takes a turn, you advance a quarter of a, an hour. And every time it hits midnight, something happens. Uh, usually, it's a mythos card that you. It's always a mythos card that you flip up, 
and read its uh, text out and perform whatever it says. There's usually an immediate effect with a Mythos card, and then there's usually a lasting effect for that day until the clock hits midnight again. So how the game is working is you're going from location to location, trying to defeat it, um, close that location, and getting its rewards so you can try to defeat the Great Old One, or gain additional items or clues to help you in the game. Everyone's working together. When you go into a location, if you're the only one there, you're you know trying to work on it by yourself. You're rolling dice. There is a mechanism for holding on to a die to help you know to uh, help finish one of the uh, challenges on that card. But essentially, you're just re-rolling dice. It's it's almost like a I'm not say a Yahtzee mechanic, but it's you know it's a re-roll, it's not a re-roll. Similar, <laughs> similar, yeah. Except you're dropping dice every time you fail. Every time you fail, and you, you have to re-roll. You don't have a clue. You're yep. dropping dice. Um, there's additional. So there's six main locations on the board, and there's also other world locations that can come up. In the original game, it was just a, a special location that would get opened up whenever you um, completed a certain um, location card. It could be a penalty, or sometimes it could also be under the reward side, where an other world portal would open up, and you'd have to go to that card to close it. In the expansion for Gates of Arkham, other world cards were a little different. Uh, they only opened up, they only show up if you hit um, have to open up a gate, like either through the Doom Track or for some other reason. And when you open up a gate, you take the two corresponding uh, gate tokens, and there's a total of six: two yellow, two red, and two blue. You take one of the sets, you take a look um, other world location, put it face down on the board, put one token on. The card on the other world card and the other token on a location of your choice that's already on the board. What that does is that seals off that location. You can't go to that location until you've dealt with that other world card. Once you've dealt with that other world card, if you're successful, you take the gates off and you put a seal token on the location showing that another gate cannot open there. Um, another thing that's a bit different from the original Elder Sign game in the original Elder Sign, you took six locations, um, location cards, and put them on the board, on the table, I should say, and um, they're all face up, so you know exactly what you're getting into. In Gates of Arkham, you um, you're putting the initial three locations face up, but then you put three more locations face down, and on the back of each card, it's a little different. They um, they have colors indicating how difficult the uh, location is: green, yellow, or red. And there's also some text. So when you go to that location, you um, have the option usually of dealing with uh, whatever the text says. So it could be pay so many trophies to um, gain sanity or to gain a, an item or whatever. But when you first go to a face down card, you can deal with that text. And then once you're there, you flip over the card. And then you have to deal with the card as normal. Sometimes those texts, both on the back of a card or on the um, the front of a card, could be a midnight effect, meaning that when the clock hits midnight, you have to do whatever it says on that card. Um, other uh, texts you can also see are terror effects. It's usually on the main side of a card. What that means is if you're rolling a challenge and you roll a terror symbol, but you're not successful in completing a challenge, then the terror effect comes into effect. Um, it's usually it's always something bad. And it'll, you know, it could um, be as simple as you lose this adventure or this particular uh, adventure card, I should say, or it could be, um, you know, you're devoured or something like that. It could be a range of effects. Could be minor could be really major. 
That's never good. So what we haven't talked about are trophies. So whenever you complete a uh, location card or you defeat a monster, um, they become the investigator's trophy. Uh, they'll have a number on them. Locations will have a number usually between one and three. Uh, similar with monsters, they will typically have a number between one and three. Uh, way monsters sort of come into effect, um, what will happen is on some locations, if you fail it, it'll generate a monster. Or, as I mentioned before, on the, uh, the Doom track, there are symbols for monsters which will make you pull out monsters. When you're pulling a monster out, it'll go to the first location um, that's face up that has a little area on it for a monster. And that's a little, it'll be like a white outlined area that indicates that a monster would go there if one shows up. If, that, if there's none of those areas or they're all full, then you'll take that monster and apply it to any card, face up or face down. If it's a face up card, it'll go to the end of the challenges that are on that card, meaning it's an extra challenge that has to be defeated. If it's a face down card in this case with the Gates of Arkham, you just put it on the back of that card. So that just means that you know there's a monster at that location. When you go to that location, you flip it over, that monster's there. Uh, other symbols that you will see on these cards and on monsters are symbols for locking dice. What this means is whenever one of those shows up, you take the appropriate colored die and stick it right on there and it's not available to anybody until that challenge, um, whether it be the monster or that complete location card is complete. Um, and then at that point that die becomes available to the general pool again. Also um, in this particular um, expansion are event cards. So there are the Mythos cards which always uh, happen at midnight no matter uh, you know what version of Elder Sign you're playing there's some type of Mythos deck but on this particular version there are these event cards and any location card that has a red sort of um, I'm not sure if it's like a sun or it's like a weird little red glowing maybe it's a gem symbol uh, is on that card before you encounter it you have to flip over one of these event cards read the text and apply its effects they're a mixture they're a mixture of good and bad effects sometimes they'll give you dice sometimes they'll hurt you or generate monsters but you have to deal with it first uh, also new on this um, i mentioned how some cards will have midnight effects or terror effects in this version, there's also entry effects. So if you flip over a card and it says there's an entry effect, you have to apply that first before dealing with the card. And it could be, you know, lose a stamina while you come to this location or, or something worse. So that's the event cards. Um, there are also mythos cards that'll cause even locations that don't have the event symbol to become ones that you have to deal with event cards at as well. I think that's most of it. There's, oh, there's one other thing I've met, I missed memberships. Um, in this particular uh, expansion they've included two gangs and membership cards for those gangs. There's the Sheldon Gang and there's also the Order of the Silver Twilight. Now how these come into play, um, you can get these memberships typically from cards. There'll be a card you'll draw that says discard this card to become a member of the Sheldon Gang or the other one. There might be other ways as well but that's the only one I've seen so far. And when you go into a location, sometimes you'll see that gang symbol. And if you're a member of that gang, that um, it's typically what'll happen is there'll be one challenge at that location that'll be taken care of as long as you're a member of that gang and you don't have to roll dice for it. Uh, and also, 
quite often, there'll be special rewards. If you complete that location and you're a member of the appropriate gang, there'll be an additional reward you can get just for being a member of that gang. But things can also happen to you that are bad if you're a member of one gang or the other. So you go to a location and you're not a member of the right gang, it could hurt you. Um, but Or you draw certain cards and it'll say that if you're a member of this gang, something bad will happen. But, you know, it, it's a bit of good and bad, just like anything in these games. There's good things that'll happen and bad things. Uh, other than that, I think I've now covered pretty much everything. At the Street of Arkham entrance card, there are a number of actions you can take um, before you even go to a location. Uh, it's a similar as in the original Elder Sign. In the original Elder Sign, you're at the entrance of the museum, and there was a list of different um, actions you can take by spending trophies. So cards that you've completed or monsters you've defeated are all trophies and you can add those together to pay for these special effects. Now they made it a bit simpler in this expansion. In the original game you could um, you know heal yourself fully, you could um, also uh, as, you know, pay to get an elder sign if you had enough trophies to add to the great old one. In the Streets of Arkham entrance card it's a lot simpler. Your choices are you spend, it's always spending two trophies you spend two trophies to flip over an upside down card or like a card that hasn't been flipped yet. You can spend two trophies to change out a card as long as it doesn't have something on it like a, a monster or an investigator or, or something else like a gate. As long as it's a clean card, you can change it out for the next card in the stack. Or you can spend two trophies to gain one hell, one stamina and one skill point. Oh no, sanity point. So you can gain, spend two points to gain one sanity and one stamina. Uh, those are the things you can do. Um, one thing that did change in this version is um, after you spent those two points, uh, those two trophies, to gain one of those, you can still move to another location and encounter it. Um, I believe in the original uh, game, um, if you were at the, at the main entrance and you did it, one of its actions, you were kind of stuck there for your turn. That was your turn doing that. Mm -hmm. But it was also because there was a lot more you could do there, um, especially like when, you, when you can buy an Elder Sign. Just for trophies, it, uh, it can make a big difference. Yeah, that was uh, one of the main things that they changed about this one is the entrance. Um, so yeah, that's uh, essentially how the game works. That's how you play it, going from location to location. Um, sometimes you can, you, know, you can team up at a location to help someone else and or trade items, but that's essentially it. Uh, we played it uh, again. We had, we had to sort of split up. I played it with Drew on Saturday, or a couple days ago, I should say, because you don't know when Saturday is compared to what day this is. Um, so a couple of days ago from this recording we played, uh, it was the two of us, we, we made the mistake of randomly choosing our great old one to, to go on, and um, we, we randomly chose out of the four that came with this expansion, and happened to get the most powerful one, which was I think Yogg um, Sagoth, and oh, he was just, uh, he was just brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and we also had the misfortune of, right away, um, as soon as we flipped over a few cards, we had a green die got locked by one uh, location card, and um, a monster showed up pretty quickly, and it locked like our red die. Yep. I didn't mention the, the dice. There are, there are items that you can get, that you can discard to get you an additional die when you're completing a location. Um, usually it's the red or the yellow die. Um, or sometimes both, but so right away we were down two dice. We were you know trying to complete these locations. Yogg's um, special um, effect was uh, a gate would open at I believe at midnight 
was it every every time at midnight? It was something really bad. Yeah, Gates his, his was a midnight effect. Yeah. yeah. So gates kept opening for him, and as soon as all three gates are out, you keep generating monsters. So we had tons of monsters on the board. It was just the two of us. I died. Yeah, I died fairly quickly, and then it got to another point where we both died, and that was it. We just we just had to call it quits. We could not defeat. Yeah, there was just there were too many monsters on the board, and yeah, it just became futile. <laughs> so in comparison. Um, the next day, uh, Jeff and I played with his family and uh, and my wife. So Nick was there, uh, Tara was there, and then your your children, Bernadette and Marcus. And uh, so, no, actually Bernadette wasn't there. It was just Marcus. But uh, the five of us were playing, and we actively chose to go against the easiest one that came out of this this module, which was the the ten pointer. And I'm not I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name. It's impossible. But uh, it was still you know wasn't an easy game. Um, we got to the point where the doom track fully filled up. And so what happens when a doom track fully fills up, um, all the investigators get moved to the, uh, the great old one's card. And then you're just spending your turns, um, attacking the great old one. And every time you successfully attack the great old one, you take a, a counter off the doom track. And if you happen to totally clear off the doom track before he kills everybody, you win. And that's that's what we had to do. We, yeah. we just kept pounding on him, <laughs> kicking him while he's down. And when you're not smart enough to close him off, <laughs> just punch him. <laughs> that's right. Just punch him to punch him to death. Um, so yeah, it um, it's a less forgiving game, definitely, because um, there's a. Now I was kind of interested when I was looking at the game mechanics, and they mentioned role playing. Um, I guess you know there's the whole aspect that you're choosing a character in this one, as opposed to which of Salem, you're all generic characters. Each person does have their own little ability, ability sort of personality, I guess you know. Um, it, it impacts how you play, but yeah, role playing is a little strong. Mm-hmm. Role playing is a bit strong um, because they don't give you a lot of description about the investigators in this one, other than the fact that they give you a picture and their ability. You know, that, that's about it. They don't tell you too much. Um, another game that they put out after this called Eldritch Horror. You know, has a lot has the same investigators in, in it, but I think on the back of each card they give you a little bit of a story. So I could sort of see getting if you really want to get into character, it's a little bit easier with this one. But on well, on that one, I should say. But on this one, you if know, like the best their profession, yeah, at best you you sort of know you can tell they're a gangster, or you can tell it's a you know, or a, like a witch doctor or a, or something like that, but. Yeah, I don't know. Role playing might be a bit strong for the for, of a description for this game, but I guess that the fact that each per, each character is a little bit unique, you know, I guess. Well, that's they, they also bit. say that there's player elimination, but in this game, when you die, you just pick a new character. True. The, the only true loss where you're out of the game is if the old one kills you. If you if you have oh. to get killed during the battle against the great old one, then yeah, that's when player elimination really comes into it. Otherwise, yeah, if you die during the game, you just grab a new investigator, you know, discard all your old stuff, get the new stuff, and, and just start going. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the only time player elimination really comes in is right near the end of the game, and you have if you are happen to be fighting the great old one. So I think part of this one, too, I mean, we had difficulty. Oh, obviously, you guys <laughs> didn't even have a chance. No. no. But... If you needed to modify the game to make it easier, you could start pulling out because the cards are in this version classified in easy to difficult. You could start pulling out some difficulty classes, yeah. Pare down that location deck, 
I, I think that really that all all that's required to, you know, not immediately lose the game is, um, you know, essentially just filter what you're doing during setup. Um, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily pull out, you know, all of the, the medium or, or, um, difficult street cards, but, you know, as we were pulling them out, you know, don't start the game with, with dice locked, you know, don't start with, with locations that are, are red, or if there is, you know, maybe limit it to, to one or two at the most, but, um, I'd, I'd give myself a fighting chance and, and, you know, not start with dice locked and start with mostly, the easier room just to you know let the investigators get you know one leg up maybe get a couple you know victory points what are they called the eldritch sign oh, uh, no not the not the elder signs but the um, oh the trophies the trophies, oh, the trophies sorry yeah yeah um let let the investigators get a couple trophies so that they can you know use them to do something at least to get out a little bit ahead um before the game just completely destroys your will to live <laughs> yeah, and that was one thing too. Well, like uh, in 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 Jeff and mine's game, uh, when I you know you do the random setup, and you do it under the table a bit because you're not supposed to see what's coming out when you're first flipping over cards in this version, because the the backs and the fronts all have something on them. So I flipped up three face up cards and then three face down, and the three face down were all like red difficulty cards. So like oh, red three red difficulty. Then you look at the cards that were face up. And, you know, I shuffled these cards, but there was, like, at least one, maybe two that were... Uh, there was a red one. And the sure, yellow. Face up, and a yellow face-up. And then one green. So we had yeah. one easy location mm-hmm. of six cards. And, you know, you don't start with any trophies, so you can't mitigate that by trying to swap out cards or anything. You just you have to deal with these cards. The one advantage being we didn't start with any dice locked, which... That, that, starting that's with that, that, that's a, that yeah, would that be is a killer a, right at the beginning. That mm-hmm. is a huge factor. Especially green. I mean, you lose one of your base six yeah. dice... Yeah, and especially some of those hard cards, um, you look at them and you need almost every single die to be exactly what you need it to be. Uh, some of these will have like three symbols or three of a specific symbol that you need for one challenge. And the next challenge will have, you know, another symbol and so much investigation that you need to roll. So like, you have six dice, you need every single die in order to uh, complete that. Yeah, and that that actually did come up in in our game. Yeah, uh, I moved directly to to one of these street locations, flipped the card, and immediately recognized that there was no way on on five green dice to roll the combinations required in order to beat that location. So yeah. it was instantaneous loss. And if you don't have I get the yellow and the red to help, then yeah. you're you're screwed. Yeah. I, I guess the other thing one can do is we we chose uh, at least to start investigators at random as well. Um, mm-hmm. although that's not, it's not necessary. Um, it's, and, it's optional, but there are certain investigators that tend to work really well together. Others, not so much. Um, and that was another thing we did on, in Jeff's game. Um, we chose our investigators instead yeah. of doing it randomly. Uh, the, the other thing yeah. is too, is the number of players, um, you know, playing with, with two players, you know, those, that synergy between investigators is going to be even more important. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, but least, but even having yeah. additional investigators, um, so that there's there's the possibility that you have more people at the same location working together to to defeat one of the locations can be enormous. Like being, being able, able to able focus to, that yeah, that additional die, that extra die is, is important. Enormous. Yeah, and it's kind of the one thing about this game. It, it plays, they say, from one to eight players. So if you're playing it by yourself, you're you're not just doing it with one investigator. I think you're 
probably using a couple at least, aren't you? I've I've never played a solo, but yeah. um, I, I imagine you must you must have to do it with more than one, right? Because they don't really. I'm, well, I guess you you could probably try it with just one investigator, but I don't know how far he's going to get. You'd lose your sanity and stamina too quickly. Too with quickly, just one. Yeah, because they don't really talk about changing anything based on the number of players. It's uh, you know it's, it's it's the same game if it's one or it's eight players. But with one player, well, some of the entry effects we had one location where you had to spend a sanity to mm-hmm. enter the location. Yeah. And then you had to spend a sanity on one of the challenges. No, actually it was two sanity on one of the challenges to complete it. Some characters couldn't possibly do that. Yeah. yeah. So if you Yeah, they've only got yourself, 3 to start with. Yeah, you only have 3 sanity. You're going to die whether you complete it or not. So right. Well, I, I guess you you know, if it's early enough in the game and you know that you know it's not gonna. It, you know, you won't instantly lose the whole game. You might take that bullet for the team and and just, know, switch just to draw an another investigator. Yeah. yeah, but but and I guess the way they sort of mitigate the number of players is the midnight. You know what happens at midnight doing the mythos cards because if you're you know less players means you'll get more turns before midnight. More players, you're hitting midnight quicker, so mm. you know bad things are going to happen more with more players. Yeah, some people won't act in a day because you advance the clock after everybody's turn, each person's turn. Yeah, so you well it, with eight, eight people though you're you're rotating that clock twice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, with a single player or two players, you're doing you know each getting one or two turns or a few turns, maybe two or or you know, in a single player game, three turns before you have to hit the clock. So I guess that's sort of a, a thing, maybe to help you know help deal with the number of players. Well, I think it it makes it so that the more players with their ability to help each other with their special abilities and right. stuff is mitigated by the fact that you're encountering more events uh-huh. at yeah. midnight. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. Which works well. Like, it's a good game mechanic mm-hmm. to balance the amount of people. Yeah. Um, so it is a less forgiving game um, for sure. It is soul-crushing. It can be soul-crushing. Yeah. But, I, if, you if, if you ever win this game, uh, even the base game, I, I find... Um, you're likely going to lose it more than you're going to win it, and it just makes the the ever so rare win that much sweeter. True, that, that's kind of the hallmark of any good co-op game. Yeah. You don't want it to be too easy because then you know what's the point if if, if you win it on the first try or, or every time you play, yeah. and you only lose it rarely, then yeah, you know, you're not going to play that. Game. You're not, it's yeah. not challenging. If there's no yeah. reward for beating something that's so easy, right? Yeah, and. Um, there's a lot of randomness in this one, uh, especially because there's all the dice rolling, yeah. and uh, you know, and the cards are they're random because you're you're shuffling them and coming bringing them out. But this, the cards maybe aren't quite so bad. Um, the randomness of the cards, as opposed to you know, the randomness of the dice, though, with the the difficulty, the different difficulty of these cards. You know, I, I don't even know if that really makes a difference either because the main game, you know, there were there are easy cards and there are difficult cards. Mm-hmm. They just don't, they don't warn you beforehand. You. They don't <laughs> warn you. That's right. There is no warning. This one at least had a, a bit of a warning as you went to a location. You knew what you were getting into. This is going to be a hard one. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully I can deal with it. Yeah. If I had to complain about one thing in this game, it would be, with the expansion in particular, it's the event icon where you go to a location, whether you get to draw an event before you deal with the card, wasn't quite clear enough. So we found sometimes we were missing picking right. that event up because it's a small little dot, essentially, on the corner of your card. So it's it wasn't quite clear that 
mm-hmm. unless you're purposely looking for it when you're Sometimes trying to beat something missed. that's soul crushing missing it's not a bad thing <laughs> so yeah. you're not purposely looking for it yeah um and i think well the thing with the event cards i think it's a nice mix of stuff that's in them though so it's not they're not even if it's a bad effect you know it wasn't yeah there were good effects anything. just yeah. as much as there were bad effects yeah so it's not it wasn't too too bad uh and the mythos ones again you know they could they they varied um to be like really really bad um where you know at the at midnight you know you lose like a sanity or, or something like that or yeah there's a couple times where we took the option of having something worse happen or else there would be a couple characters that died from sanity loss yeah. and stuff like that so sure. there's some tough choices in the mythos cards mm-hmm. absolutely and um oh in our particular ancient one his whole um thing was if you went to an other world card deal with it whenever you uh as soon as you if you successfully completed that other world card you roll the die if you happen to roll the uh, terror icon you were devoured that's how i lost one of my characters <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's always nice being completely devoured no matter how much hell or death yeah. stamina or what, sand you you have, just you're dead you were successful completing the location yeah. but yeah. now you didn't yeah. come back you didn't come back from it <laughs> yeah so that was uh that was a bit tough too and that was the easier card too so it's just it they they you know even if it's easy it's not always easy yeah Okay, uh, but anyways, that's essentially you know Elder Sign with the uh, Gates of Arkham uh, expansion. Now to to see if we could pick one that we prefer. Um, I think I'll go first this time. I think the other two times, Drew and uh, Jeff have both gone first, so I'll go first this time. It, it, it's a tough choice. I appreciate Elder Sign um, for its complexity, for its uh, all the additional things that it uh, it gives you. You know the 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 interesting unique items that you can sometimes get um the spells which we didn't cover a lot of but spells are like items just different ways you can use them um so i, I appreciate there's a lot of good things in the box um it is a fun game but it, it I, I it was i found it more there were more cries of frustration than there were you know yelps of joy kind of thing so i, I for me i, I kind of preferred uh which salem out of out of the out of the two games, you know, it just had more fun with Witch of Salem. Even though it's a lot simpler game, you know, it could be described as more of a gateway game. It was just more fun to play. I don't know. Um, you lose some of the, uh, I guess, maybe some of the theme with having generic investigators running around the board, but it almost didn't matter. You know, just there was a little bit more strategy involved in in what you're doing, where everyone was going and trying to complete. So for me, I think my my preference out of the two is Witch of Salem. For me, uh, again, it was tough for me too to choose between these, but I think in the end, Witches of Salem, their game mechanics that they did for balance that cut away from the story makes me go more towards Elder Signs. Elder Signs is a tougher game, mm-hmm. and with Cthulhu, I think that's kind of what you want. You want that horror, you want to know that you can be destroyed with the misstep and stuff, and it's truly cooperative and that you are helping each other if you figure something out you're not holding the information back but it it really does just come down to me the thematic Mm. the gameplay for both is i like them both a lot so oh that's a good point drew um as much as i've kind of uh ripped into um elder sign pretty harshly I, I don't know whether it would surprise anyone or not, but I, I think that 
ultimately ends up being the one I favor out of this. Um, I, I think the the Cthulhu theme comes through a, a bit stronger. It's not as time consuming as uh, you know playing an Arkham Horror or Eldritch Horror. Um, you know you can in the amount of time that it would take to play one of those games, you could get in a, f- a few of these, uh, depending on you know of course the number of players. But there's there's enough variation in in each one of the expansions and even in the main box that um, you know although you know mechanically the game's going to play the same you're going to see a lot of uh, variation in the investigators and the locations that you're going to so each game seems to be a little bit different um you know the replayability is is a, is i think more um present with with that game um and ultimately i think it is that you know th- that soul crushingness about the game that keeps me coming back it's cthulhu <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. You know, I it's probably just a personality type, but I'm the kind of person where uh, as as the losses mounted and I became more frustrated, I am more determined to win that game. Yeah. And That's fair. you know, I I'd lose family, friend and and you know, all my finances to to get one win out of that bloody game. <laughs> so, um but yeah, it's you know, I I I think it's an enjoyable game period and and um just, you know, for you know those other factors. I, I I think with witches of witch of Salem, I w- I would probably squeak out a win fairly soon, and and uh, it, it would be pleasant, but it wouldn't be as as rewarding as playing something really hard and and getting that win. Okay, no, that's fair. So yeah. and I I do enjoy Elder Sign. So I think there we have it. It's two to one. Uh, Elder Sign is definitely the winner of uh, of this show. Um, and I do enjoy Elder Sign. I'll continue to play it. You know, even if it is soul crushing at times. I'll play the game. You know, it's it's fun. Uh, you know, it, it it's just one of those games. And just sometimes the dice. I don't always like dice. And there you go. But <laughs> <laughs> dice. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Dice don't like me. That is exactly the way to phrase that. That's right. <laughs> okay. So then now that we're going to move on to our imperial assault segment. Um, since our last talk, when it was Drew and I, um, there's been a few new articles that have come out right after I released the last episode. Boom, they come out with the, the discussion, the article by um, that Team Covenant person whose name I do not Bun? remember. What's that? Zach Bunn. Bun. Zach Bunn, that's yep. right. Um, on his discussion on the Rebels. And then following that since then, there's been another preview um, for Jabba's uh, realm to do with the uh, the scoundrels with the Savage. Not the scoundrels, yeah, the scoundrels. And the... Um, uh, the troops that are available in it in the uh, article about uh, the Savage article. Mm-hmm. And then his last article, uh, Zach Bunn's last article, came out to uh, talk about the mercenaries. So there was, um, yeah, there's been quite a bit that's come out. And then there's also, also the Developer Diary article came out talking a bit more about what their intentions were with the uh, the new expansion that's coming out. So there's a lot to discuss, which is uh, which is great. You know, they're, they're not only are they releasing new products, but they're they're keeping it uh, fresh by, you know, talking about or, or giving us insights into the game and and where they're going with it, which is nice. Uh, looking at the, uh, I guess the first thing would have been that Rebel article. I didn't like it as much as as this Imperial article. Maybe I maybe I didn't find things as um, illuminating. You know, I, I did start out playing Imperials myself, and then I'm sort of moved to the Rebels. And then I did quite a bit with the rebels after that, so maybe it's because of the uh, the playing with the rebels a lot. I didn't find it quite as well. I, I think it it's more that it's old information. It, yeah. There's not much new there. Yeah, Everyone knows point, yeah. Gideon, Three PO. They're pretty 
staple of uh, any rebel and mercenary list yeah, at this point in time. Cheap, you bring them in to give you focus, and that's not new. Yeah, no, that's true. And then you know the. the and of course, he brings up the Zillow technique again. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised about that. You know, you're you're only a couple articles in, and I'm seeing this talked about again. Yeah. So it's because the it's such a low cost. It, it is such a boost to the imperial side. Oh yeah, and I can yeah. appreciate that. But, I, but you know, yeah, it shouldn't you, have been talked about. You've got so many cards and so much new stuff coming out that you can't talk about a different card. True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the entire article is really old cards it's like rebel yep. high command we've had that for a long time david davith he came out with bespin we've yep. we're familiar with his abilities and what he can do at this point so and it, he didn't really touch on how impacted the rebels are becoming with the new content mm. with their mostly defensive white dice and how a lot of forces that are coming out now are removing the dodge as a ability because they can surge to remove dodge and or cause rerolls exactly well the the only time i I think he's he's kind of gone down that road is with the as you wish article where he talks about the mercenaries and you know the the comment i I think is made in there that you know the mercenaries were, were not sort of a formidable force and that the um the new content that's coming out now is is sort of shifting that way to um to really make mercenaries a force to be reckoned with but um, I think it's at the cost of the rebel yeah. side. No, I, no I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that's exactly where it's coming from. And, and I love the fact that mercenaries are becoming viable yeah. in many different ways. Yeah, and, they were so difficult. But it seems they're boosting the Imperial, which if you look at uh, regional championships and stuff in the mm-hmm. past year, have pretty much dominated the championships. So it it seems odd to me that the developers are moving in a way to punish a list that was kind of second place in right. the overall meta of the game. Right. I, I understand bringing up mercenaries. I want to see more mercenaries. I want to see competitive lists for all three factions mm-hmm. and not minimizing the special abilities of one to make another one better. Yeah. And then so he, he sort of goes on and, and gives you, you know, okay, he talks about the, the common cards, which again, we, were, we just discussed. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, here's a few, a couple rebel force there's a force list and here's like a, another you know, like command deck for it and then another list that that just uses troopers um but again you know I, we've definitely seen better lists out there um he's like he's trying to shoehorn in some of the older things to, to say hey these are still viable like the elite rebel saboteur rebel saboteurs uh in in his force list um you know there are definitely de- better things you can take than those um to round out that list i believe you were mentioning um you know dropping those to get uh um take gin and um an elite, uh, an uh, smuggler. yeah an alliance smuggler which yeah. i mean a lot of people don't like gin for some reason i've had amazing success with her in yeah. tournament play so i i've never had rebel saboteurs they've they've gained a reputation for being a powerful unit so people will focus on them and kill them quickly but I just don't see their value because I can get two units that can hit almost as hard mm-hmm. that give me two like an extra activation mm-hmm. right and are slightly more survivable yeah true because when I take a look at the uh, the elite um, sabs seven points you get um, you know plus three accuracy to begin with it's a red yellow 
So you're not getting a huge amount of accuracy. No, it, it, they're close range. They're close range. They can, uh, you know, with the Elite, you get the priority target. And which, you can overload. You can trigger the same surge. Same, same surge twice. But uh, again, you know, there's surges. You know, you get like Blast 1 and Pierce 2 and Stun. So if you're playing against an Imperial for, person and they're using Zelo, I guess that's why he keeps bringing up Zelo technique. Yep. You're, you're taking out a lot of Pierce out of a list, which is really detrimental, really hard on the uh, the Rebels. The one thing that the Sabs have that you can't get a lot of in a Rebel list is that they are heavy weapons. Sure. And with yeah. a lot of the spy changes in Bespin, well, I shouldn't say changes, but the cards that they've given to spies for command decks, it they do work well with like Leia or Myrn Rin, those mm-hmm. types yep. of people. So there's some benefits to having him, but just I didn't see it in the list that he created. Yeah, because he was specifically creating a force user list, and then he had Sabs in there. Um, but you know, I almost want to have them in a spy list. If I'm if I'm doing my rebel spy list, I think they almost fit better in that because then you're, you're you're using cards to you know to get rid of car, um, command cards based on the number of spy units you have out there. So then they help add with something like that. I think a bit better than they do with a force user list. Yeah, where you can add, well, even if you want synergy, I don't agree with putting all of the force users, but if you put in mm-hmm. uh, some of the original, I forget her name, sorry, at the moment. Uh, the Dahlia? purple Dahlia, yeah, yeah. thank you. If you include Dahlia in the list, there's synergy there. Yeah. I don't think it's a strong list. No. But if you're making a force user list, the Rebel Sabs don't add anything to it, in yeah. my opinion. All they do is they give you... Well, I guess with that... It's almost a combination of Force User and Spy. But was he using any cards in here? He did have Calm Disruption. Um, So I guess he was sort of combining them to make a bit of a Force User and Spy deck. But I know I almost prefer... If I'm doing... I'd rather prefer to do like a a straight Spy deck with with Leia and Davith. And then sort of drop Luke. I know how powerful Luke and Leia can be together. But if I'm going to go strictly Spies, I'll, I'll sort of drop Luke. I was also surprised because at the beginning of the article, he makes the statement that Rebel Saboteurs are an effective unit, but they're far from must-have. Yeah. And then he went and created a and unit with, it. with yeah. it where he was just saying that they're becoming less relevant. <laughs> and then he goes on to his strength in numbers <clears throat> list, um, which is really heavily, heavily reliant on the elite Rebel Troopers. And um, you know the, the Rebel Troopers are one of those cards that People they look love nice. them or hate them. Yeah, they look nice, but you know, for the points, nine points, you're not getting a lot of health. You're not. You don't have any speed, um, and your get into position thing is a kind of you know ability you'll use on your first turn and then maybe never use again. And they are given the. I mean, they're both the same as stormtroopers. You you trade your white die or your black die for a white die for defense. Yeah. But the most important thing is you have a yellow die instead of a green die in your attack. Yeah. And they don't need the extra surges. Their surges mm-hmm. are garbage. Yeah, yeah, they have like an accuracy surge and a pierce surge, and that's it. Like, if they had a damage surge at least, that'd make it worthwhile. Or Well, and uh, pierce too, if, I mean, we're going back to if the Empire is bringing in Zelo technique. Yeah, you're n- mitigating this, the pierce. So It's only for one attack, It's only for one you. attack, that's true. And so you get a bunch of pierce out there, you might be able to do well. But it's it's just not as strong, you know. It, especially if the if you roll you know crappy for your damage, and and it happens to be that the imperial guy only you know say rolls one defense, your pierce two is only pierce one in that case. So you're you may be doing one extra damage instead of you know. 
Yeah, it, it's a tough one. Uh, the Rebel Rebel Troopers. I, I we've seen people play them. Not not to great effect, but we have. Seen I've never had played. a problem against a Rebel Trooper deck with yeah. what I've used. So it, it's I prefer I prefer the Rebel Alliance heroes mm-hmm. more than I do their troops. Their troops are somewhat weak, in my opinion. Yeah. And I'm coming. I'm really interested to see how these um, these snipers that are coming out with the Jabba's realm change things. Plus, if you're going to make a Rebel Troopers deck, I'm not sure that Leia is the best hero to include with them. She's yeah. I mean, sure, you're giving your Rebel one Rebel Trooper gets an extra attack with her battle leadership, <laughs> but yeah, because you don't have someone really strong to punch with. Yeah, with Leia. she her her yeah. ability isn't really going to kill someone off like it would if you were combining it with Luke or mm-hmm. even like Fen or something like that. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely people you could uh, use her ability with with, with better, greater effect. And uh, yeah, you you haven't really played too uh, Drew. You haven't played too much with uh, Rebels, have you? Um, no, I, I think that's where I started, and and yeah, realized that it was well. At least for me, it was a little bit finicky at, at the beginning. Yeah. Um, Imperials were were a bit easier to you know put something formidable together and and field it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think maybe the first couple times I I tried playing with with Lay and Luke, they were just annihilated almost immediately. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, so it, it it wasn't a bad article, but I, I did want it did leave me wanting more. Like it, it could have been. I think it could have just been a bit better. You know, I'm I'm appreciative that he's doing these articles for uh, Fantasy Flight because he does you know give um a bit of a he does give a player's perspective to the different teams. But uh, yeah, it. Uh, well, you also can't blame him for there not being anything released for Rebels True. in this yeah. next upcoming expansion so I mean you have the latest thing was Obi-Wan he added a dynamic yeah but there there's nothing nothing overly exciting coming out for this for the skirmish aspect of the game that the rebels are going to be using true that's true yeah and so you know after Jabba's Row comes out um it'll be interesting to see uh if things change much for the rebels but we know it's going to be geared towards the mercenaries or the, mm-hmm. the scum. So it's it's the bigger changes are going to be there. Um, so we might as well jump over to that article. Uh, we'll we'll come back to the savage one talking about the troops that are coming out for the for the the mercs. But if we jump over to his merc- mercenary faction article, as you wish, um, that was actually I, I enjoyed that one. I thought it was a pretty good article. I'm just trying to remember everything he talked about here because of course he talks about uh, Bosk uh, being important. And of course, the whole the the five points for or six points for Gideon and three uh, PO. Mm-hmm. Now I know that's important to mention, but <clears throat> I I hate that that's still important for mercenaries. Yeah, like, yeah. I want them gone from a mercenary list. I want yeah. there to be an alternative for them. Yeah, if you want, if you want to try to make a list, it's a bit more thematic. Absolutely. But he's right. It's important that you take those six points and throw them in. And I would agree. Bosk is becoming. Now that people are learning his uses, yeah. he's definitely becoming a stay of a mercenary list because mm-hmm. he's very survivable. He is, yeah. And and the different ways you can play with strain with the mercenaries is um, is great. And he talks about that, which is uh, which is nice, especially using cards like under duress. That's you know ways you can play around with strain. Um, there's also cards, uh, quite a few cards that change strain, strain around, like how you can change effects, like. Uh, um, if you weaken somebody and then you uh, 
gain another weakened effect, you can do things. I can't remember what card that was. But yeah, uh, the way you play around with strain with the Mercs is, is, is interesting and, and, and kind of fun. Um, and still a ways to become competitive. But, you know, uh, like what does he talk about here? Anyone remember? <laughs> well, he's got the, the list where you've got your two Trend Ocean Hunters with Under mm-hmm. Duress so that you're making the person choose whether or not his command cards or wounds for his troops are yeah. more yeah. important there. That's right. Yeah, losing that command deck is... It can be I harsh. Mean, that's, yeah, that's unique and, and very harsh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it can be the, the difference of losing that deck or, or losing your activations. and Yeah. And, you that's know, a tough choice sometimes. Additional wounds to people, like making them take additional wounds is big because that's, just, that's the difference between sometimes, you know, one, one attack killing somebody and not, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you do an attack and they're left with like that one wound, but now you're... You're making them make that choice when you go in there and do some strength to them. Okay. Do you want to take that risk that they're going to be one wound short, or do you want to take the two cards gone? The two cards gone out of a 15 card deck is huge. Especially on some of these ones, like if you're playing um, a a spy deck where you're discarding cards anyways to try to, you know, with Agent Blaze or or some of these other cards, you're discarding command cards to cancel other cards that the person might be holding or playing all of a sudden you know that person is running through their deck quick and if you have this out there then they have no choice but to take the wounds if they've gone through their whole deck well i think it's it's going to be a, it's a it's a balancing act i think in in a previous article of his he you know he, he broke down the um the fact that most most skirmish games only go you know three rounds yeah and you know i think a lot of people are going to be you know, based on you know understanding that have you know getting squeezed in that tough decision, do I do I lose? Do I take the wounds and lose this activation? When that's exactly what he what he spoke about in his previous article was like just holding on to those activations. You know, just that if you have an activation that lasts one one round of combat longer, mm-hmm. you know that's that's a huge impact in in, in uh, you know how the, how the outcome of the game is. So, I mean, but it, it will be a really tough decision. Do I do I lose my command deck, or do I keep that activation for one more turn? Yeah, it, yeah. It's, but it's uh, I, I like though that that you can construct something that forces that on people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, he also, you know, um, talks about uh, like when he's building his little his lists here. He um, also throws in devious scheme, which is almost a uh, unless you're building a thirty-nine point deck. It's uh, everybody's using like if you're doing mercenaries, you kind of need to have devious scheme in there. Well, the advantage it gives you being yeah. able to choose your deployment zone and, and then, then the making other the other go person go first, both setup and initiative wise. Mm-hmm. It it's just it's such a good one point that yeah. it's hard not to include it in a mercenary list. Yeah, I mean he has his list here. The strain train, he calls it, where you have Bosk, 3PO Gideon, some HK assassin droids with the targeting computer, mm-hmm. or Elite Wing Guard because of their guardian ability causing strain, and then two Trandoshan hunters under duress and Devious Scheme. It's like, if I couldn't fit Devious Scheme in and the choice was that or a targeting computer, I'd drop targeting computer in a second. Yeah, because the HKs already can do rerolling on attack as it is, so I guess having that extra reroll. You know, is nice, um, but once a die's been re-rolled, or once you roll a die, you can't once re-roll, you re-roll it twice. A die, you can't re-roll it again. Yeah, so it gives you so an you, extra die to re-roll. Yeah, you get that choice of okay, I can re-roll that other die that you rolled to try to you know. But I'd much rather force my opponent to start moving first in yeah. that round. That mm-hmm. movement is so critical where you want to respond 
to what they're doing to kind of throw them off their game mm-hmm. rather than forcing them like they get to see your strategy first it's always it's harder to come out on top in round two right yeah and like in this particular deck you made yeah you know he already has the scheme in there and the targeting computer it's um, his beast machines that lacks the yeah, that lacks devious schemes devious scheme uh, but he does mention here like one hk assassin droid with a targeting computer or the elite wing guard i don't know if i'm 100 percent sold on the wing guard yet I haven't really played them though, so I think it's easy to avoid their strain without mm-hmm. targeting them. Like, there's three of them isn't enough to really protect everything that you have. Yeah, and, and you're giving up a lot of range. You're giving up a lot for yeah, because HK assassins, especially with some of the command cards are coming out with like assassinate, mm-hmm. which they can use is plus three wounds. You focus an HK with Gideon or three PO and use that card they're shooting across the map right and they're doing a significant amount of damage to whatever they're hitting yeah where the elite wing guard they're they're defensive unit i don't i don't like being defensive defense yeah Yeah. and it's like you really have to position your guys when you're defending to to, to try to take advantage of that and then when you're really being so careful with your position you're opening yourself up to other things that the players can do to you exactly or sacrificing your own attacks to force them to take strain it just doesn't make sense you want to be offensive yeah well at least i I don't know i think they lack the the real point is they lack that flexibility depending on which which map you're playing you know if if it's if it's something where you know you you are forced to interact you mean you have to get to some place you know sitting back and and being defensive is not going to win you anything no you know we'll just i guess we'll just avoid you yeah, and I, I guess if you're really playing to the maps, like right now, the current maps, I can't think of any missions that are really like a, a whole displaced mission. What are there? Um, yeah, you could, with Leia's map, where you collect the droids you're and bring the them droids. to a terminal, you can protect the terminals to prevent the points from being True. grabbed. So there, there can so be a bit of defense. There's of, a bit of, of defense there. there. But then you're playing to one specific mission. Uh-huh. Exactly. On, you know, on, on one map. six potential missions. Yeah. Yep. So... Yeah, it's really, really hard to justify you know, trying to go defensive. Yeah, um, and then yeah, looking at his beast machines one, um, I, have, I you know beast machines is one that I've heard out there quite a bit because you know it's a pretty strong one when you have a, a bantha rider and a beast tamer um, and two HKs. You know, it's a strong list. I you've used that against me. Yeah, to great effect. <laughs> um, Although I I don't agree. After having played with this list, mm-hmm. I I wouldn't take two. HK assassin droids. You would change that up. I, w- I would definitely take one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the the other one you can drop for. I think it was an Exu. Uh, it's been a while yeah. since I played this one. Yeah, and I've done that too. I've I've, I've taken the Bantha with a uh, with an Exu mm-hmm. just to sort of help you get more out of Beast Tamers. They have more options with it with the creature side. I like that they in this particular one they included Bosk because um, I don't think I've ever played this with Bosk. No, not to not yet. Yeah, so that's an interesting add on. Um, but I also I still want to see devious schemes in this list, yeah. Because I don't want to have to move my bantha until I'm ready to move my bantha. Yeah. So that's right. if I can move last on the first turn and first in the second turn, it makes your bantha so much more effective. Especially if you're lucky enough to get Jundlin Terror in your first draw, right? Which you're putting two in your deck, so mm-hmm. there's a fairly good chance you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you're there's always a chance you're going to lose the initiative in the first round which is what you want and mm-hmm. 
but devious schemes unless you're playing another merc list guarantees you that so yeah and i'm not sure what the cost difference now i'll take a look here between um uh, the was he using what, he was using regular HKs. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So regular HKs um, as a, in a comparison to like a Nexu, because um, let's see here, elite uh, Nexu is um, six points. I think they're eight. And like regular HKs, I think are yeah, eight. I think yeah, they're eight. Right. Yeah. So there you go. You, know. you fit an elite Nexu with devious schemes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same number of activations. You have one less model. But you got a fast Nexu, which can, you know, especially if you have to use Beast Chamber with it, can get across the board almost as quick, you know. And you're avoiding one of the complications of the HKs, which is Line of Fire. Right. With four of them, typically you're starting to run into problems of Line of Fire. Mm-hmm. Y- your own, your Bantha is going to block you, or the opposing force is going to put their troops to protect their valuable guys behind, like troops of some sort. Right. So with an HK, having more than two, I. I don't see the value, but mm-hmm. having a Nexu that can run in there and get behind people to make them chaotic and not be able to plan for your HKs shooting yeah. them, it just it adds a little bit more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So that that definitely I think would be a way to, to improve this. You drop down the H, one of the HKs, take a Nexu. You have a couple more points to play with, so you can add in your. Um, uh, how many points is the Devious scheme? I'm pretty sure it's just one. Is it just one point? Um, that gives you another point to play with. So yeah, it's one point. Yeah, one point. So you have another point to play with. So you could, if you really wanted to, throw a, um, a targeting computer on your HKs. Or mm-hmm. Is that one point? I should double check that too before I say anything. Yeah, it's one. Yeah. So the, there you go, another point. And then you, then you get your targeting computer on those guys and uh, allowing them to make additional rerolls. So yeah. Um, but all in all, it, it's a good article. Yeah, it's um, definitely it. It shows some of the strengths that are starting to be put into play for mercenaries. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like based on what is currently available. Yeah, he gives you a couple really, you know, fairly strong lists that you can play, or or how to look at the mercenaries so you know, you know, to play around with them. So to to start making those combinations, which is which is what I liked, and that's why I thought was a bit stronger. It was a stronger article than the Rebel one. Definitely. In my opinion. Yeah. And then the next news that came out, or in between that, was the uh, the Savage preview. Um, so it was talking about the uh, the new um, uh, troopers. Not well, I say troopers, but what I mean is like uh, weakway pirates. Yeah, you get the weakway pirates, Gamorians, the Gamorian guards, um, front line kind of um, fighters for for the for the mercenaries, and giving you some quite a bit more uh, options which is kind of nice and again it's it's just showing that they're they're really trying to flesh out the the scum because now with the weak wave pirates they have the uh they have the reroll they have the the raider ability which lets you choose uh one die and you know you get to reroll that die and you or or the opponent yeah and it doesn't specify like with the hks that it, it was saying like choose you know choose an opponent have them reroll their defense and you get to like you can reroll one of your attack this is a bit more generic whereas you can choose one die and that player must reroll that die no it's a lesser ability than the hks because yeah. it's only one die but you're it's paying a lot die. less for them like yeah. their elite version is a point less than the standard hk standard hks and now granted their accuracy may well they do start with plus two accuracy and they can surge for plus two accuracy but that's pretty good but they're and two green dice. They're two green, so yeah, their minimum on the green is one. So you're starting with a minimum accuracy of four, which is not bad. 
and then you can surge to six, and then you can, from depending what you roll in the greens, you get a bit more out of there. Well, and they can pretty much guarantee themselves a surge with yeah. the prowl ability on the elites. Yeah. They just spend an action to become hidden. So before your attack, you can become hidden, or after your attack, if you want to mm-hmm. play it defensively to take the accuracy penalties for the shots against you. Yeah. So I can definitely see these weak wave, weak wave pirates getting used. Yeah, I like, I like how they look. They have some decent surges, you know, plus... Um, on the, I'm looking at mainly the leads, and you know, get the plus two wounds. Uh, Pierce one, not great, but it's not bad. Um, plus two accuracy. Yeah, I don't think you'd see much of the non-elite version. Yeah, because you look at the main guys, plus one wound and plus one accuracy. That's the only surges. So it's not huge there. It's like a point more per model. You're getting two more health per model. Yeah. You're getting the ability to hide. You're getting more wounds potential and pierce mm-hmm. and better accuracy. It just it's such a good use of two points yeah. over the five for the yeah. non elite. Big upgrade. Yeah. Absolutely. And then the other um uh ones they talk about for the scum are the Gamorian guards. Those guys look <laughs> those guys look very cool. formidable. Yeah, they do. <clears throat> I, um, I like them. The the T red dice and, and the cleave. The, I, I think possibly the the only thing I thought was maybe a little bit imbalanced was their speed, but I, I don't. I don't know. Well, yeah. When you look at the elites, they have an average speed, um, and then when you look at the regulars, I think there are three, so they're a lot. Um, they're a little bit slower. Nope. Aren't they fours? Oh well, that was wrong. Okay, I must have been just making things up in my head. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. It's a four. So all they really lose is they they're they're guaranteed to do one less damage. They have to do one less damage. And a little bit less on the cleave. Well, you're rolling red dice, though, so you're the amount of times you're going to get cleave off for them. Yeah. Unless you find a way to focus them or something, is going to be true. low. It's yeah. not a surge centric um, guy, so it doesn't almost doesn't matter what you have for uh, surges with, with these guys. And um, then, like the regular guys, have the ability to take a strain to do a reroll, which um, useful but with their health. Useful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and whereas the uh, the elites. They just have the ability to do a reroll. So, like, what's the di- what's the cost difference? Like, the regulars are eight, and the uh, oh no, you, the, I mean, no the regulars are, are six. Yeah. Regulars are six, and, and the elites are eight. Yeah, there's a three point difference in their health. Yeah, there's I, actually quite a bit for those two points. Again, again yeah. I don't think you'll see the <clears throat> the regulars regulars too often yeah, because I think you're absolutely right. The, again, two points difference mm-hmm. for a lot of health, mm-hmm. and that minus one damage goes away on every attack. Yeah. And instead of re-rolling your defense die, their Gamorian on, honor, sorry, Gamorian honor allows you to plus one defense, defense. Yeah. instead of re-rolling your defense die. It's so like a ranged attack. Yeah, and, uh, their their ability to get the surges if you can roll them on the red die would be pretty good for because they have reach. So cleave two and immediately attack with reach is a decent ability if you can get those surges. Yeah. Absolutely, and if you have a way of you know, focusing them, they make, like um, then you can you have a better chance of getting that surge. But uh, I, I I think they're going to make a really good combination with um, uh, that new uh, that new uh, hero for them. I forgot her name. Yeah, what is the one with the whip? Mandalorian, yeah, with the yeah, whip. With the whip, because you get her up there, um, up there with them, um, and then have her whip somebody into them. Yeah, that guy is dead. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll just activate and. And rip them apart, but I guess it all depends on. You really want to do it on somebody who's already activated. You don't yeah. want to whip somebody into them and then somebody who hasn't gone yet. 
Well, it, it depends. I mean, if someone hasn't activated someone and you want to force the issue, True. you whip them into the Gamorians, and if they don't move it, you know you got your kill next activation, yeah. or if they try to do it, you're throwing them off their plan. So Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I think I can see some fun combinations there. Uh, absolutely. Um, and then they also show you the jet troopers. Yeah, this, this should be interesting. I, I, I don't know exactly how this one uh, would play out. Um, see, seeing a, a, a small unit considered a vehicle. Yeah. I, I haven't looked at the, at the cards exactly to see what, you know, what you could possibly do with that. There, you know, they, um, the, uh, regular jet troopers are pretty frail, very, frail, very yeah. delicate. So yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly how, how these are going to play out, but, but the they're, they're interesting. The, like the flyby ability or the jets ability where you gain movement points after, you know, if your target was within a certain amount of space yep. and then you gain movement points afterwards. That's um that's kind of nice to get in there and get right out kind of thing. Then see these ones it'll be a tough choice for well maybe it isn't time three points to go to the elite from the basic yeah. but their flyby ability gets them an extra die if they're one two spaces and and the difference of four health yeah, yeah. you know that's huge huge and then um, yeah your accuracy goes up with the surges your damage with the surges goes up. It uh, again, you know, they they've been making these elites just that much better that it makes it hard to um, take the regulars because you know last time with the HKs, the elites were okay, but they weren't you know weren't worth the extra points. Whereas you take the regular HKs and yeah, the the ability boost for the HKs from the elite wasn't worth the point cost is what it came down to. Yeah, yeah. So it almost seems that yeah, we're we're really making our elites a bit more attractive. Um, I'm not sure if that was a conscious, conscious decision or not, but um, it's definitely uh, something to come out there. And now that they're vehicles, I mean, so much like, synergy with some command cards and stuff. Well, that even you with can them, do. like Soren. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. You his abilities some, work with. Yeah. You throw Soren in there with, um, uh, especially that one that, so he doesn't have to be adjacent, he has to be within three uh, spaces instead, the advanced comms. Yep. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got jet troopers, you could have an ATST, have Soren or whatever, and then you know, he he's he's commanding things all, all over the place. Yep. So that could be interesting. I don't know. I, I kinda like Soren, so that's why I'd, I'd always, you know, see any opportunities I can to use him. Uh the old they do talk about the Rancor and he looks really interesting. Uh they, they show both the um the campaign and the and the skirmish version of him. Uh and he's a he's a beast and he, He's going to be really interesting to play with because right away, like if you look at the skirmish version of him, he uh, he has brutality. So if you're in close, you get two attacks with him right away. But if you have to move, then you take away his uh, his brutality to gain as brutality and his um, non sentient non sentient to gain an extra defense die. So you get two black defense. So that that's a really interesting take. That's something that they. Uh, they've added well that. he also brutality with reach that's yeah i mean vader is one of the other people with brutality and you have to get him in the mix of things it's mm-hmm. sometimes can be hard against a good opponent to get brutality off because they try not to keep two people beside each other with reach you don't have that issue yeah mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. um and i think he's almost always going to get his surges off with the red and two green dives and attack profile mm-hmm. he's going to be fairly effective unless he's attacking someone like Leia with an eight surge defenses yeah but they're also decent surges with plus two wounds and cleave two he's yeah he's going to be 
interesting to see incorporated, especially in stuff like if you put them with a bantha or something. Mm-hmm. So you have synergy with creatures. Yeah, synergy with creatures, and you know, using the uh, the beast tamer. There might be too many points in yeah in the two of them, but true. But at least he has defense as opposed to the bantha that doesn't. It's just twenty four points of and health and no defense. Could be a lot of defense. Yeah, you... with two blacks. Yeah, you know, you're giving up that nine health to potentially have you know two black two black dice yeah Yeah, um he looks really really cool i I like the rancor and i I can't wait to see you know they show you sort of a a rendering of his his model i can't wait to see the model up close yeah Yeah, agreed yeah and well he's uh he's coming in the box set so i don't know he's gonna be one of those ones that's gonna be hard to get additional ones of because you have to have multiple box sets or you have to borrow them if if you want to for some reason try to use two oh but he's a unique isn't he i'm not sure now I don't think he's I unique. Don't think so. he's I think you can have two of them. You can have two of them. Yep. So there you go. Like, Unless the skirmish version has it. Uh, I know the campaign uh, doesn't. Nope. Okay, so you could potentially take two of those guys. <laughs> That's a lot of points. <laughs> That's a lot of points, yeah. <laughs> it is a lot of points, but... You know. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've done Imperial ones where I've taken an ATST and General Vice. It, you know, a lot of points, not a lot of activations, and it'd be easy to defeat, but it was fun. So, well, I didn't defeat it <laughs> last time I met that. Yeah, but um, yeah, but two rancors on the field. You could still add a bunch of stuff to it, you know, for the other twenty points. It would be intimidating. It'd be intimidating. Yeah. It'd, it'd be like a one of like, oh my god, how do I counter that? But then you know, you counter it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it uh, it looks. Uh, it, he's gonna be a fun model to play with. I, I can't wait to try him out. And from the looks of things, I think he'll be competitive too. Not just yeah. fun, but yeah. oh no, absolutely! Like yeah, I'm actually surprised that's model. that's not a that's not a huge point cost. No, no, no. like ten points for you know fifteen health. Yeah, and, uh, elite HKs are eleven. Yeah, you know, absolutely, and not near as much health. And well, compare them to the new Luke. What would you prefer? Oh, well, the, yeah. the new Luke is twelve points for the same amount of health, if I remember correctly. Yeah, maybe it was sixteen. And I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, for 10 points, I'd much rather have the Rancor. Mm-hmm. He's a good shield for people behind him. Yep. With so East Tamer, say, he's get a lot of movement. Plus, he can say, hey, check out my Rancor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that that warmness going down the inside of your leg, that's my Rancor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he... Uh, yeah, interesting things coming. Yeah, indeed. Um, and I don't think they talk about too much more in this little preview in here. You know, they talk about the different troopers. They show you the rancor. They do show you the the um, the, uh, the campaign version of the rancor. It's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, if you're really into the campaign, he does uh, his surges are for more damage. He's um, yeah, he's doing uh, what, is he, what else is he doing? Well, he gets that reach plus one yeah. defense. That's right. You plus one defense automatically with his reach. I think that's the trade off. Taking throw. his sentient stuff. Yeah. 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 That's right, and then throw and feed start at the end, start of your act, at the start or end of your activation. You may choose another friendly figure within two spaces. Recover wounds equal to its health minus the wound it has suffered. <laughs> so so he's, he's like eating his own. You dudes. eat your own. <laughs> yep, that figure is defeated. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, it's interesting way to re to heal them up in the campaign. So 
It's going to be interesting. I don't know how they're going to do... Well, I guess it's just like anything. Um, with the current campaigns, scum just coming on the yeah. Imperial side. So just more for the Imperial player to, to mess, around, mess you around with. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and I can absolutely see the, the person running our current campaign just bringing in some troopers just to feed to his rancor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, we're going to deploy those. Oh, right within reach. <laughs> yeah. Keep that rancor around, so... No, he, he's uh, he's he's good model. Um, but yeah, and then since then, the only other article that's come out is the uh, the developer diary, um, where they talk a bit more about you know what they're what they were doing when they were dis- um, designing Java's realm. So I, there wasn't really much in there for additional news. You know, it's just just some of their thoughts behind it. But it was a, it was a good read though. I have not read that yet. You haven't read that one yet? No. Nope. Did you, Jeff? I don't recall. What was that called? Uh, it was called uh, Inside the Palace. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I read that one. Yeah. Yeah, because it was just more of a, you know, this is what we were doing. Yeah, it dealt more with the campaign play, which... Yeah. I don't which, do the single-player campaign much. Right. Or the multiplayer campaign. Oh, yeah, sorry, multiplayer campaign. <laughs> single-player. You could do it single-player, I guess. Wouldn't be very fun. No. <laughs> not, not as fun. But yeah, there was some there was some good news that came out, or some good articles that have come out recently for Imperial Assault. So you know, it, it's keeping it fresh, and it's it's keeping me excited for it. I'm looking forward to the new stuff that's coming. That's for sure. Well, you know, I did read this. Oh, okay. go oh, good. Yeah, this is the the article with Shia Lavard. Mm. Yes. Yeah. It's whether this yeah, stuff will ship the meta away from your same three forces for each side, kind of thing. It, that yeah. Once it hits the table, we'll see how things turn out in the skirmish aspect. Because it needs a little bit of blood injected into this thing to revive it a little. I think that it's become a little stale competitively. Right. So, and I think tournament uh, participation is a good sign that the game isn't quite variety enough to it in the forces to make people interested. Yeah, because we have our, our like a weekly sort of meetup and... You know, before the summer, we were we were getting six to even up to eight people sometimes out for these weekly meetups. But now it's it's really come down to you know we'll be lucky if we four. get four people. Yeah, you know what? We still have some kits that we have to have little tournaments for, which hopefully we'll get some more people out. Um, but hopefully, it's something like this when this when this set comes out, I'm really hoping that it'll you know spark some more interest back into it. They're they're good at that. They are good at you know having a fairly decent regular release schedule so that you know again though it just uh, as usual it just keeps the buy-in yeah it makes it harder for harder. people to buy in they get interested and they see that it's going to cost them four hundred dollars to participate with everybody else and it's kind of a, i'll walk away from that yeah 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 but we've talked about that in the past so yes. i guess we don't have to keep getting that horse <laughs> but yeah so yeah um anyways uh, i think that's a good place for us to stop uh, thanks for listening again. Again, you can uh, find us on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, we have a website, uh, board, B-O-A-R-D, nowgaming.com. We are on Facebook under uh, Board Now Gaming. Um, you can find the, the Board Game Battles podcast on Board Game Geek. We're listed on there as well. We're now showing up on their podcast page. Um, we also have a guild on Board Game Geek where we post uh, show notes for the uh, episodes. And you can also, if you decide uh, you want to ask us any questions, throw comments up on there and we'll uh, do our best to answer them. 
We also have links to uh, our email on the website, so we uh, look forward to hearing from you. But otherwise, uh, thanks for listening, and keep on gaming. Yeah.